All right, the club is back for another Tuesday afternoon show. We got some interesting stuff going on in the Dapper Streets, some layoffs, some people stepping away. We got PFP drama in the NFT streets. And of course, we have some underdog contests. Clay has a sweat in the small ball, and Andy has rookie sophomore fever. We're going to break it all down today in the club. Right, Clay, Andy, we are here for the club. How are you guys doing? I'm good. Can't complain too much. It's a gloomy, overcast day here in New York, but otherwise good. Yeah, Trying to stay warm, Clay, baby. Clay, staying warm. Yeah. Got hoodies, got the throwback uh, beanie on there. There you go. Um, yeah, you know, I'm on my Kevin Durant beanie shit today. Just uh, kind of get a little cozy boy season out here. The uh, I did get tagged. I, I had mentioned last week on the show that the only time I check the price of Ethereum is when Andy tweets out the O face, and now someone tagged me when you did that tweet. So now I have another oh, yeah, I level of notification. <laughs> uh, how are we doing? It looks like we're now chopping around, but we did uh, move up back up to like the seventeen hundred range there for a bit. Yeah, you know, I, I think that. It's just like such a tumultuous time in the world at large that I don't expect to all of a sudden see like everything change in an instant, but it feels like, I don't know, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about crypto. I feel like there's so much kind of dancing on its grave in like the traditional media and all of that. And that's normally a pretty good sign. I would also just say just, I mean, like anecdotally by feel, it feels like in the past couple months, there's just been so much activity. Obviously, we've got a bunch of stuff now going on with Bitcoin and NFTs and, you know, projects are kind of coming back to life. It feels like this checks NFT has breathed a lot of life into the space. It definitely feels you, you, you always want to be careful of saying we're, we're back, but it does feel like we're back from a, a true bear market. Yeah. Yeah, there's at least like pockets of interesting things going on where if you're staying curious and continuing to pay attention, there's money to be made, there's cool things to see. Uh, it's not just like everything is down only all the time. Uh, my alter ego here, Pete Overbet, thoughts on Gary Gensler. Did Gensler have some quotes uh, about crypto recently? Yeah, he had a an article in Times or one of those saying that every crypto that is not Bitcoin is a security. Um, I don't know. I, I saw some interesting stuff basically saying, like, good luck, good luck with that. <laughs> and also what they, what they say isn't law. Um, so, you know, they'll, they'll keep finding people and doing all of that, but um, it's not the same as being proven to be true in a court of law. And so kind of take it all with a grain of salt and, you know, expect that they're not going to ease up on crypto. But at the same time, they can only go after so many projects at any given time. Um, there's rapidly more tokens being released than there are agents at the SEC who could enforce things. I can't even imagine what their hiring process would be to keep up with all the new coins and the new chains and, and everything going oh, on. Oh, man. There's <laughs> just no way. Clay, did you see the, uh, the the Top Shot lawsuit floating around? I think that was a I few days ago. 
Yeah, it seemed like a bad headline caused a whole lot of headache on that front, um, which is unfortunate. I mean, like I, you know, uh, in my core, I'm a J school guy. You know, I graduated from J school. I have like a lot of appreciation for like what journalism and media can be, but I also understand how warped it is in the context of where we're at today. And that was another example of when people want to, you know, point at something and say, well, you can't trust shit the media says. Well, there's a pretty good example of that circumstance where a, a pretty, I think, in poor taste, uh, headline from a factual standpoint was very misleading and you know if you read the headline you think uh, again everything's clickbait driven today anyways which is part of why it's so fucked but um yeah i don't it doesn't seem to be as big of a deal as the headline would indicate uh, but i'm also not the expert in the area as well so i don't i don't want to make the little something that could be more serious than it is but that's kind of my take on it did you guys see the reference the obscure reference to club top shot in that in that uh, big no, I didn't. I did not notice. That might have missed that yeah. <laughs> So there was basically they were talking about some of the early investors and ambassadors, and they were pulling quotes. Um, you know Jesse, who had one of the biggest purchases, and he was talking. Mm -hmm. Basically, they were trying to frame it as these guys are clearly stating that they bought into this for monetary gain, future investment. So they had some some Jesse Yodo, I think is his. Twitter handle. Yeah. Uh, and then they also had one from MBL and it said on MBL's uh, podcast, NFT or uh, NBA Top so Shot podcast. Funny. It was something like obviously returns down the road or something I think about. It was like a quote like that. So we didn't get the explicit. <laughs> we are in God the damn. Yeah. So we're all going to jail is uh, I think the takeaway. Uh, it's brutal. Yeah. <laughs> it was um, nice knowing you guys. For our cousin Greg moment. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly um yeah no i agree and they, they you know it's the, the the thing is it's just like where like top shot and dapper's at right now like in normally this would probably be mostly a non-issue but it's just like another thing going on with them mm -hmm. where optics and sentiment are still so important and this is just another thing of fud that is going to you know be another hurdle that i think they have to clear yeah, uh, yeah, they're they're <laughs> definitely in quite an uphill battle right now, and so we'll see. It, I'm, I mean, like the site really hasn't. There's there's not a ton of volume going through these these platforms right now. Um, I'm I'm really curious, kind of what the fallout here is, so to speak, or will be as far as their licensing agreements goes. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how that stuff works, but I know, I'm sure these, these big companies have a pretty short temper with stuff like this. Yeah. I mean, that's like, you know, what Dapper initially raised at what was the number being floated around a $7 billion valuation? It was something like that up there. Shout out yeah. to Rohan. I hope Rohan got some secondaries there and they had cashed out, secured the bag. Uh, didn't uh, yeah. blow it on the yacht. What, uh, what do you think it's worth right now? Dapper or Top Shot specifically? Dapper. Like if, if you were to do a round of funding right now, what would they be able to raise at? It's hard to say just because they have the IP and the IP is really valuable. I, th I, would, I, would, I, think, that, I think that you like basically, if you did a good job in the funding round, you could be like, yeah, our numbers are down. It's a bear market, yada, 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 yada. But like, we still are working with the NBA. We're working with the NFL. We're working with La Liga. Um, 
And so I think they probably still USC. get like, yeah, a billion dollar valuation. I think it's um, seven might be a little yeah. bit. You know, yeah, not seven. <laughs> Those days think, are gone. I think a B is still appropriate for Dapper. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that's in the news, we had, there was multiple layoffs. Some of the people that I had even corresponded with way back when, AJ, who was initially at um, the NFL, NFL and then was doing some stuff with Top Shot and then went over to All Day. I know she got laid off. And then Dave Feldman, who we've had on the show, also did marketing for the NFL, came over to do marketing for NFL All Day. He said he uh, stepped away, that his wasn't a layoff but there was another one too that i'm forgetting that i saw floating around but i don't have you guys heard anything about what's going on over there this seemed almost all day specific at least this round of layoffs uh if i had to guess probably it was a lot of the non-technical people and like non and like basically more like growth all that because it's just not a market to be growing like that right now for for an app like top shop um or or all day. Uh, but I mean, they're certainly not alone by any means in having layoffs. So it's not shocking that they, you know, you think about, think about a company like Dapper, they're massively understaffed. They blow up just at a level that's crazy. They're like, holy fuck, we need 10 times the amount of people we currently have. Like we cannot handle this. And so then you overhire and then the market turns to shit. You're, Volume goes down 99%. And then you're like, all right, we overhired. <laughs> we no longer need all these people. And then you have to, you know, it sucks, but that's just kind of the way that it is. And so it's not surprising to me. I, I don't, like, I don't take that as like a, oh, the ship's sinking. They're, they're out of money or whatever by any, like, by any means. I think it's really just part of when you blow up that big and then a bear market comes, like, naturally, you know, you can't just be like the nice guys who let everyone keep their job when you don't need everyone. And it's, it's not making sense. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I get that, but I also think it's just like bad business to, to not like hire with a runway in mind, you know? And, and mm -hmm. I always think of uh, what our guy, you know, Carlini has done too with like Penelope's country club and kind of explicitly stated like, Everything can go to shit, but we have a two years that we're going to be able to build, that I'm able to pay salaries, and that I'm going to be able to do this. And we at least know we have that. But, I mean, Feldman, the, the ink barely dried on his contract. I mean, we were talking to him, like, last fall. Like, I don't even think he was there a full year. Maybe I'm, I'm misspeaking on that. But to me, that just seems like bad roadmap and bad forecasting to actually have to lay people off this quick. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, like... <clears throat> I mean, I don't, I don't think we're saying anything crazy here to say that their leadership has made a lot of mistakes. Um, and so I, I think probably if they had it to do over again, they would have done things differently. And like, yeah, that's like with us, we always try to keep at least a three-year runway for whatever we have. And that's with projections for hiring and fees and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and so who knows? Maybe there was some other internal stuff going on that, that we don't know about. Um, and it wasn't just a money thing, but probably a big part of it is just trying to get down to bottom line. I'm sure they have a lot of investors who invested a lot of money who want to see some better metrics and as far as revenue and spend and all of that. Yeah, yeah it just like fr it frustrates me too because 
I think anyone who's been through any market cycle, even when we were at the tippity top of frenzy and mania around all this stuff, like everyone knew there was going to be a big pullback. Everyone knew there was going to be a big correction. Okay, maybe not everyone knew that, but anyone who had ever lived through a market knew that that level of euphoria could not be maintained. And I would just hope on the back end, the business side, that they would have been planning for those bear markets when things got rough. And it just felt like, hey, we'll just ride this wave and we'll figure it out when the bottom falls out. And now they're dealing with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing that has kind of been true of Dapper, both in their old stuff and new stuff that they've done, is it, it really feels like they have a super hard time kind of maintaining and growing what they do. And, and like CryptoKitties had similar issues. And I don't know. I, I don't know what it is like. Obviously, I'm not on the inside of those things, and so I, I can't really say. But there, there's definitely there seems to be some fundamental challenge that they have when it comes to maintaining execution and like growing after you've already had the crazy parabolic growth and like maintaining because um, it seems like they really really struggle there. Yeah. I was just looking up to see when we had Dave in the club and it was August of last year, which is even later than I kind of had remembered. I was trying to think of like, you know, time feels so warped these days. Like maybe it was like way before too, but it was, you know, much later than last year than I even remember. And I don't have a whole lot to add other from aside what Andy said, other than I think like some of this gets really heightened in the microscope of, you know, crypto Twitter, Web3 Twitter, NFT Twitter, whereas like, you know, it's not uncommon for startup companies, young companies to go through missteps like this. And I mean, clearly with your point, Pete, it's, it's unfortunate because it's like we're talking about like people losing their jobs here first and foremost. But um, I will say like to a certain extent, you know, I think some perspective that was interesting for me to to see and, and be shared was that like in some respects, this is a pretty not a com not common, but like it's a, you know, it happens in startups, right? It doesn't mean the startup is failing. Yeah. It doesn't mean that it's going to complete, you know, zero or anything. Um, but there's, it's part of the growing pains of a young company. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot, I think there's a lot of parallels too to like the NFT space and, and projects that were planning stuff out just based on secondary revenue alone. I mean, not a true one-to-one -one comparison here, but you think about your scoping on a business, you can't, you can't run a business on unreliable revenue streams that are so volatile, such as secondary revenue in the true like NFT space or in top shot scenario, like the, the the bull run that they were on and that trajectory because they got so many users so quickly. And as Andy said, they weren't prepared for it. Just, it didn't really set them up for success in any way. Cause they're either going to be so understaffed. They continue to miss stuff. Like, you know, all-star break of that year, 2021, that was the moment where I really felt a big difference. And I've, I've thought about this a lot recently. Like, you know, I can imagine why it was very difficult for them to activate at all-star weekend that year, knowing like they were probably just they were still trying to hire so many people at that point in time and, and be able to take on the growth that they were experiencing. And so I'm sure between like the people they were hiring, they didn't have time to get something prepared for all star game the way that we were all hoping for, or expecting or wanting to see happen. Um, and it's kind of like all these things, I think, kind of go hand in hand to a certain respect. Yeah. And I mean, like one of the cruel, you know, ironies, though, of like the marketing team getting let go or leaving or whatever happened behind the scenes to where they're not there is like in a in a bull market you don't really even need a marketing team that much right it's almost fish in the barrel it's like so much word of mouth it's really organic stuff the whole reason you bring in these people like dave are because they have this long vision of how to grow the product over time it's like the yeah. sam hinky stuff right 
It's like you, you're building, a, you know, trying to build a super team that can have a legacy for 10 plus years. And it's like, you need a long runway to execute that. I mean, he was there very less than a year, like all the things he was theoretically setting up in place over these past eight, seven months or whatever, like those are supposed to play out in two years, three years, four years. Yeah. So it's just yeah, like, you got to trust the process, like, <laughs> trust the process there. So yeah. it's like, what, what are we even doing? We're just given, I, I don't know. It just is massively frustrating yeah. to me on multiple levels. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's not a straightforward conversation in my opinion, in, in multiple respects. And even to Ricky's point in the chat there, like, you know, I, I have similar sentiment as a, as a user, and I also can understand the flip side, uh, you know, on the on the the team side, right? And like early on, if if you are just not prepared for that kind of influx of users and that growth moment, it is a very challenging problem to undertake because you might be scoping out plans for the budget that you have at that moment in time, like money in the bank for things that are unrelated to things that you have to take advantage of because of a spike that is a beautiful thing outside of your control. And so for All Star Week in that first year, like I mean, part of what I've really thought about a lot in that regard is like. They probably just weren't prepared from a money in the bank standpoint, thinking they were going to need to activate or be in a place to market as they would have liked to probably at that moment in time. And they're planning for like, you know, probably technical stuff at that point in time. That's it's one piggy bank. So like even if they have a marketing budget and other kind of budget, like it's one piggy bank and you're having to make tough decisions on are we focusing on a technical build aspect, something that improves the drop experience, something that improves a queue experience, or are we going to spend that money on marketing at All Star Weekend when we can't even handle the amount of users that we have currently. And that's like, uh, you know, just goes back to kind of some business problems and how you work through things. And I don't think it's a simple answer. Yeah. I think the one thing that's, and I do want to touch a bit more on other NFT projects outside of Dapper, because I think like, yeah. like you said, they're, they're super not alone in this. Yeah. Um, one thing that's interesting on the Dapper front specifically is while at the same time, they're really obviously struggling um, maybe not financially, like I, like I said, I, don't, I think they're fine, but like with users and excitement, adoption, whatever. It's interesting to me to like contrast that with the sports gambling market that is just like fucking up only, like everything is just like nonstop up only, not even just like the massive ones like FanDuel and DraftKings having massive downloads, but underdogs been fucking crushing it like stake.com rolled it all the other gambling sites are just like really 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 doing well and so it's just so interesting to me and i think it kind of goes back to a bit of a thesis that i've had for a long time that like the whole player stock market thing never actually works and will never work but like that top shot was just so incredibly unable to like hit any of that market um and it is just like not a thing that matters and it makes me feel like we never really will have until you can add like some sort of actual, like, I almost wonder if you could like back the whole sports gambling, like the, the player stock market thing with like their odds to win the MVP or something, or like a payout for these like more like actual re rewards for things or like their next contract or something, because it's just so clear that the, there is not the overlap of people that I think probably a lot of people would have thought who want to speculate on actual sports gambling and then also collect top shot moments. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say like one, and we go back to the NFT conversation, I don't want to derails from that, but I, I would say like, we're already seeing signs of the sports gambling space mania slow down. 
um like there's even like reports coming out now about Penn and like their relationship with with barstool and in relation to like massachusetts opening up gaming and stuff and how there's just such a competition for users currently that you're seeing like even you know that was a big play and especially for them to gain market share in massachusetts uh, my understanding is that was a huge component behind the the sell to to our acquiring barstool in that nature so it's it is fascinating because like i mean of course there's a ton of money it's like every commercial you turn on like every espn segment every you know professional sports segment we're still just seeing the logo mania and there was a really compelling piece on uh real uh brian gumbel's hbo sports show real what is it real sports with brian gumbel or whatever about the sports gambling space i think like when last year's season or whatnot but i yeah i think we're kind of seeing a little bit of a shift here too or like it's even becoming so saturated and i think they're pulling back some of the money or like the deals that were out there before like they're not going to be re-upping mcafee for 100 million what for was what FanDuel i think paid for him to come over and be like the official partner like i think those deals are kind of done because now as the tide is changing like there's going to be less of this money to just go through this mania so it'll be fascinating to keep an eye on i think is uh yeah that is an interesting point just to think how much money is coming from those big sports books to support all of this and when they reach full-on saturation for they've reached you know all the customers they can reach. Obviously they'll still advertise. Obviously there'll always be new people coming up who become legal age, yada, yada. But it is interesting to think how, you know, that sausage will get me made when they aren't, you know, the value for like those sports betting customers, those can be worth like a thousand dollars, $2,000, the lifetime valuation. And so that's probably they're, they're happy to throw money at Pat <laughs> yeah. McAfee to bring in a lot of those guys to do that. Yeah. I mean, he had like an insane stat for like the number of people that rode on his uh, Super Bowl same game parlay. I, I was like almost a hundred thousand people or something. I really? It was Holy fucking shit. absurd. Like, it's, that's incredible. That's fucking incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, he, I'm, I think he's well worth it. But I just and maybe he gets the bag again. I just don't think it's gonna be thrown around in the way that it was before, where there was even like you know poaching of talent to go do content at sports books at insane you know price tags. I think from a market perspective. Uh, similar to McAfee, but not McAfee specifically. Well, it, it kind of it, it parallels a little bit. I mean, it's not a one-for-one one analogy, but with the whole royalties conversation, right? And with NFTs of like, how do you make these ecosystems sustainable? Like for the sports books, it's sustainable because they're going to take their VIG on every single bet or they're going to take their rake on their contest. And that is how they are going to support their business. They're always going to be able to take that. They're a market maker. They don't care which side you take. They're going to get their money. But with NFTs and stuff, we're now seeing with these projects, and it's it's maybe something to bring up here with kind of Yuga and what they're doing with the Bitcoin stuff. And now people are calling it a cash grab, but it's like, what is the next move for NFT projects to raise money, right? It's like putting out more stuff and letting the market decide. You got to sell more anything. NFTs. You got to sell more NFTs. And it works for Yuga, right? Because they have such an established brand. They've constantly delivered value to people who have bought into the ecosystem. So they're able to get away with it, but they're like kingmakers. I mean, not every project can just be like, we're going to launch something on Bitcoin and then think that's how we're going to raise our next round of funding. 100% accurate. <laughs> yeah. It, and it's interesting too, like a lot of these projects I think are realizing like, oh, our fund, like the amount of money we made is actually not as much as we thought it was. And now we have to reevaluate a little bit. And, and so, I don't know, it's going to be really interesting to see kind of how it all shakes out. Uh, I think that we're just going to start seeing a lot more people selling NFTs as their way to monetize. As like kind of silly as that sounds. Um, 
because like yeah no shit but yeah i think i think we'll also probably start seeing monetization through means that are not just selling nfts whether it's um you know selling in-game asset stuff or or creating more like actual producty kind of things but i don't know it's going to be really interesting to see i i think a lot of these companies are going to have a hard time for a while kind of trying to find their way yeah how, how are you thinking about that clay because i know you guys with with knights i'm sure you guys are feeling certain aspects of the bear market you guys are still building those so how how are you kind of approaching these issues of you know having money to continue to reinvest back into the project not just resting on your laurels but also maybe not as much royalties are coming in or not as much funding is coming in to actually support those initiatives yeah for sure i mean like when we launched i think every uh you know project company that launched that time with a nft or pfp component was like excited about the volume of secondary royalties and that being something that could be utilized in uh, business model. And I think we're very fortunate that pretty early on, we recognized that that wasn't like something that we could bank on as a sustainable, you know, revenue stream. Um, and I think that was, I put us in a good position where we kind of like, we, we understood the burn we had to support a team and bring on people in a pay capacity, like, like myself, for example, being like kind of you know, the, technically the first full-time employee for the company, um, being able to quit my former job to focus on this full-time um, and then from there, it's been like, yeah, like we had a, you know, the first year was by far, and I hope it will be always the most challenging because you're trying to, you know, work towards something, share that in the most public form and setting possible in any business environment. You're in a, you're in a group chat, essentially in discord with, you know, three to eight to 10,000 of your closest friends who all have a, uh, you know, uh, kind of a, uh, something of, of, of value in relation to the project and company succeeding. And I think from, yeah, it, it, like you have to reconsider things. So for us, it was very quickly, well, how do we get to a place where we're not relying on secondary revenue? And we had, you know, stuff where we had a second drop last year with our Steve's collection, which was good revenue to have. And then we did other things throughout the year to get to a place where we could go into a fundraise. And then through our, our you know, fundraise process, we've, we're tripling the team size. We get to a point now where we're releasing products like our iOS app. And then we're starting to be able to tell a more concrete story. And I have a, a true, you know, business model that, receives revenue and is going to make money on its own aside from just people buying and selling the original collection of knights and steeds and those will all have a very profound uh impact on how you kind of think about and play the the game that we are building in respects that will you know tie everything to how you watch and, and engage in fantasy sports or sports bet and all those kind of components um but for us it really had you know we, i think we're pretty lucky and that we've gotten to this point 16 months in where we have a pretty clear path forward uh, that's not completely indicated by the market conditions to be successful. Of course, great market conditions would be, uh, we would welcome that, you know, <laughs> I think everyone would in the space. Um, but our idea is like, you know, if we can kind of just survive in advance is kind of the name of the game at this point. And I'm, I'm happy that like at this point in time, you know, if I think if we're poking our head out of the sand saying like 16, you know, 15 months later from kind of the mania of the fall of 2021, I mean, I'm pretty proud that we can like point to like real tangible things that we have been building over the course of 15 months, even on things that haven't came out publicly yet. Um, in regards like DAO and, and token and stuff like, and we have the best partners in the game that have been working with us on those front. And I think that's a very confidence building thing. But if you don't have those components then it's, it's definitely challenging. I think we're going to definitely see kind of a reckoning here that we're already kind of experiencing on 
you know, what our projects, what have they done since like people kind of like got over the initial mania or speculation game around them and where are they going from here? And if there is a path forward from here. And I think that's kind of the moment we're at in time with um, similar companies and projects and organizations to us. But yeah, that's how we've been thinking about it for sure. It's like from day zero, we were like, it's not just about the PFPs. The PFPs are a very important component of a much larger um, concept that we have in terms of sports and entertainment in the Web3 space. Not to not to make it too real for you, Clay, but how do you think about like your own job security now that your primary source of income is from Web3 stuff? Like yeah. you have to have, that takes like a big leap of faith on your part to, yeah. you know, to hang your hat on that fully. Yeah. I mean, that's what I had to think about when I made the decision back in November of 2021. We were like two months into the project at that time. And I don't think I even fully appreciated like kind of how short of a runway like we kind of truly had if we didn't figure things out in the manner that we have where, you know, I, I feel very comfortable going forward. I mean, I, the way I look at it true, like, like anything, it could fail. We, we could fail. And I'm just very comfortable that if that happens, like it's not going to be at a point in time where I can't recover or and I think that the opportunity and the upside of what we are setting out to accomplish is far greater and far more exciting than, you know, thinking about it in the negative sense. And like from from this point in time, yeah, I mean, like we're not going to sustain for forever and ever without, you know, raising more money or figuring out revenue streams that can bring more of a direct impact into budget for hiring and stuff. But I love that our team is, I think I was trying to check on this today. One, we have like 96 people in our Slack. So we have a ton of shared Slack channels with partners and community community members, but our more internal channels, we're up to like, we have like, tw like 15 to 20 to 25 paid people on our payroll right now. We have a high burn rate. But it's for, because we're doing some pretty fucking incredible things. And that's all a lot really scaled up in the last six months since the league Dow acquisition and the, you know, the rolling close of the race. So that's where it gives me a lot of confidence and like the team as well. I mean, from the reason I felt so comfortable truly is because people on our team have, I think, really great track records for building really good businesses. We're all new to the Web3 space. So I thought it was just kind of like we have a bunch of smart minds and we're continuing to bring very smart minds to the table. I like our chances and figuring out and the people we've brought to the table since then are even more native to the web three space or to the dev space or to the DeFi space. And that that's exciting too. Cause that's not my shops. I'll admit that all day long. Like I didn't, you know, my, my part of the pie here is not from being a web three native person for, you know, seven plus years or five plus years or whatever it may be. But we're, we have added those people and that kind of ex expertise to the team to really like round things out. And like, yeah. So I've never felt more confident in our future and also like more comfortable with like, well, what if it all just, you know, goes to hell? And I don't think that's going to be a uniquely thing for us is also what I can feel comfortable with too. Like there's been much bigger things that at play, I would think. Um, but, you know, I think I, call, I also have to drink the Kool-Aid because, you know, I'm a co-founder and in, in my full-time job. So if I'm not believing in it, then who else is supposed to believe in it? Well, and I think one thing, I mean, both of you guys are doing with stuff you're working on that that really helps is you are actually building product too, right? You're building things that hopefully deliver value. I mean, one of the things we talked about, the Moonbirds best, they have some, you know, big announcement this Thursday with what our nesting Ponzi-nomics are going to be for the Diamond Nest. Like, Oh, wait, do they? They do, yeah. That's uh, oh, man. for myself. Uh, <laughs> there is better be fucking gold bricks with everything else. <laughs> At this point, I just want them to all send our two and a half ETH back to like the wallets that minute it and just like let us all move on. <laughs> um, 
the but but like that that whole idea though when you play that game and you get people where it is all just like what's the floor price that's all we care about you know poking it what are you going to do to make the price go up like at least when you kind of shift the focus and actually build products that whether it's an app that you think people are going to use and enjoy or you know andy building these you know fractionalization protocols and all this stuff at least that like takes the heat off of you know, the, the floor price and actually signals to people, no, this is actually what we're working on. This is our main mission. Yeah, no doubt. And like, I, I think too, like in the true spirit of the web three space, like the, one of the most fun parts, honestly, of launching this app, which is, you know, one component of the, what we all have coming forward this year and beyond. But the, the best part about web three is you do have a community kind of baked into what you're building in the company and such. And like I, the companies die for the ability to like product test not just with a consumer base, but alongside like a community, like that is like truly one of the cooler things that I have felt from like the web three space in a powerful way for that. Like we get to like, we have a channel dedicated to like people providing like app feedback and suggestions and ideas. And like, we're not gonna be able to tackle all those things in the, the technical roadmap for the app, like in the next you know few months or whatever, but it's just, it's great to have community involvement. It helps us make prioritization decisions. And I, I hope, cause I think oh, I'm yeah. feeling this at least that like the community feels a sense of like, you know, this is their app too. Like we're having, we're trying to build like the coolest for our thing, DGen sports experience. Like the app is our first four way of making that like a true tangible thing from a technical component. I, but I love it though. I love that part of it. And it does like, yeah. it's fun. Like, you know, they can see what's happening now. It's real. It's not just like, you know, 10 months ago where we're talking about like, Hey guys, like we're working really hard on like the future of like what a token and DAO might look like and how it's going to tie into our FCF team and how it's going to tie into how you sports bet and how you watch games and all this stuff. Like that was a harder picture to paint then than now where they can see the, the initial, you know, first parts of that come to, you know, right in front of their face, which I I'm hype about. Yeah. I think one of the things that you touched on quickly that is like, really cool and something that we've noticed with Escher's stuff as we're getting closer to launching it um, is like I can tweet out something about it and I'll have like multiple people in my DMs be like hey if you ever need me to product test this and give you feedback just let me know and they're like artists NFT collectors like yeah. total DGens just like anyone under the sun and that kind of stuff just doesn't happen traditionally in like traditional apps and things and so there's just like so much excitement and buy in like from community in general with this stuff. And I think that's something that we're trying to do a better job of too, is like really take advantage of that and just like build in public and kind of continue, like continuously elicit feedback from people because it's, it's not normal to have people this excited to help you make stuff. Yeah. And you like say Andy, oh, I was just gonna say, Andy, didn't you also get a job uh, offer in your DMS the other day? So <laughs> yeah. I, so not kidding. Here, let me, let me read the dm because like do. so I'll, I'll have to cut out the parts about the company because it is like it's a very real, real company. company i think they've they've yeah they're like actually real um <laughs> so I, I don't need to i don't need to put them on blast we're gonna have to ask for the unredacted they're, version in the group chat that's that's good yeah to know. i'll let you guys know who it says <laughs> i am a senior recruiter at blank I'm working closely with Blank, our co-founder, and wondering if I'd be interested in exploring a role as a digital marketing specialist uh, we have here at Blank. We're looking for someone who can grow Blank's social accounts. You basically take over full control of everything digital here, social media ads, influencers, and you have an opportunity to work with a team of talented and innovative individuals. Let me know if you can be open to an initial confidential chat. That's incredible. 
That's I'm just, so yeah. Funny. Sounds like you got plenty of time for a role that's that light of a lift. <laughs> I, yeah. I've been getting, I get like a decent amount of like spammy emails to that because I have like my contact email on my YouTube and they'll be like, you know, we want to partner with you or whatever. And so I have my default thing now that I just reply back and I'm like, why do you think my channel would be a good fit for this? And like 95% of the time, like they've never watched like a second of the content or whatever. And like every once in a while, someone will like write back this long thing showing they've like watched like my streams for two years. I'm like, oh, okay, actually that was nice. But for the most part, these these emails are just spray and pray. Like, honestly, you think Andy would be interested in this job with what he's, yeah. he's doing right now? <laughs> yeah, I got it. What, what about the things that I've posted on social media make you think that I want to be a digital marketer? Your memes, bro. It's a meme game. Memes are king, baby. I got a hilarious one today that said, Hey, Clay, I'm really impressed with the way that you're using technology to make healthy eating easier and more accessible with Knights of Degen. Explain that one to me. <laughs> I know we have a really you fun say, you know what? that's mental fitness and also physical fitness, <laughs> but I don't think uh, I would say we're really uh, playing out with the healthy eating habits and even our food delivery service uh, brand that we're still hoping to launch with Pop Chew. Like, I don't want to say that's going to be healthy eating. Uh, <laughs> wonder where that one came from. My like DM message requests are like such a shit show of just oh, like, oh, dude, so bad. Yeah. <laughs> Bitcoin rock. Oh, this was a funny one I got yesterday. Hey, I'm a professional sports gambler. I used to give out free picks. I can hook you up with a three day trial. And then I charge 175 if you like my style. Uh, then you have all of these seven uh, followers. Seems pretty legit. I'm a manager of Magical World Team. I would love to talk to you about promotion our project. We offer $650 for three posts. So if you guys ever see me tweet a thread <laughs> about the Magical World NFT, you know that this guy got to me. <laughs> Hope you got more this than guy, that. Yeah. I mean, it's just all oh, just complete trash. It's always the verified mutant names. It's always the verified <laughs> mutant names. Why is that? <laughs> what's going on there <laughs> what are the mutants up to and i think i, I just know. did a deep dive i think this one that was in my dms this is actually this is like a fake verified right like i don't think that i think he just made his profile picture look like yeah. it was verified yeah yeah, yeah no <laughs> yeah you see the sketchy ass cropping on that dude this guy Pull that back up look at the top <laughs> let's go let's go full <laughs> art design mode on this shit this oh, guy, man. it says criminology and security <laughs> studies, hardworking young entrepreneur from Rwanda. I mean, yeah, three following. Yeah, this looks legit. NASA Cartoon Network and FK. Okay, yeah. Wait, is that a um, basketball FK part? Is that a, a soccer a team? Soccer. Like. Okay, I'm pretty yeah. sure my buddy played for the uh, basketball equivalent of this club. <laughs> I was uh, like, I recognize that name. Uh, um, well, I did want to touch on the the stuff with Yuga and what they're now doing with uh, Bitcoin and Andy, you said you had, um, you thought the ordinal stuff was pretty interesting. What was going on with that? Yeah. I mean, like, it's cool that Yuga is doing generative art. In my opinion, people would call it a cash grab, whatever they want. If you think it's cash grab, don't buy it, but who cares? Um, I think ordinals are really interesting. I don't have any right now. Personally, I don't own any Bitcoin or really like, have a ton of interest in the Bitcoin blockchain, but like, I think as like a digital artifact, they're like really fucking cool. Um, and I feel stupid for not, not having jumped into that sooner because it feels pretty obvious in hindsight. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm excited to see what they do with it. I'm excited to see ordinals kind of like grow as a, 
as a type of digital collectible. I think at least right now, seemingly the conversation around them has been really just like art and collector focus, which I think really fits the Bitcoin ethos in a lot of ways. And I think that there's like a lot of potential there to have like a lot of like genuine excitement around this like cool, new, weird collectible. And so I think with the Yuga ones in particular, um, I can't say I've been incredibly following along up to date with the ordinal stuff, but it's one of the first generative art collections on there. You know, probably not the first, if I had to guess, but one of them, I'm like, that's pretty cool. And so I, I think they're cool. Um, I, I applaud Yuga for doing this. I think it's, in my opinion, one of the more interesting things they've done in a long time. Uh, even though it's nothing revolutionary by any means, but I think it's just like a kind of cool thing to do. And that, in my opinion, is better than most of the other stuff they've done. And so, um, yeah, I think it's interesting. I probably won't be buying. I'll probably be priced out, to be honest. Um, but I'm excited to see what happens. Who do you think is like the core demographic for it because obviously so many of like the BTC people and with their like very strict ideologic ideologies of what Bitcoin means to them, like having NFT on the blockchain, I know is causing a fuss for some of them. Is this just like NFT DGENs and like ETH native art enjoyers who are like, all right, I'll go fuck around on this chain because I think it's cool. Like who do you think this is for ultimately? No, you know, I think there is definitely a, subset of bitcoiners who are really excited it has something to do with their pet rocks on bitcoin <laughs> um and so they're like really into ordinals they think they're sick obviously there's another big group of people who are like this is stupid it's not not what bitcoin's for whatever that's how it's always going to be there were, there were ETH people who felt the same way about nfts and then started meaning that more eth was burned after the merge and they changed their mind um but yeah, I, I think that it's probably a combination of like NFT people and Bitcoin people. Um, and then there's some amount of like, there's, there's a non-trivial amount of people who, you know, I know this sounds crazy, are not Bitcoin or Ethereum maxis, and they enjoy both for what they are. Um, and I think a lot of those people who, who have gotten into NFTs understand this very quickly and they have some Bitcoin hanging around and they're excited to spend it on something they think is cool. Um, but yeah, I'm not totally sure. Yeah, the uh, yeah, because I, I did see some people, there was some chatter, I was listening to the Lucky Trader podcast, they were debating whether this was like, quote unquote, cash grabby by Yuga, and or if it was just actually a cool thing that they were innovating with. I mean, one thing that was kind of interesting is that they were being made by their in-house art team, which I guess is kind of like, if you're trying to capture all of the uh, the money from a project, that's definitely one way to do it. Yeah. Or they're also trying to make probably more of like a public comms play on the fact that a lot of their original artwork has been called in question from a trademark perspective. And a lot of that was outsourced from the original collection on Ethereum. So it could be twofold. Yeah. Do you have any, any thoughts on that, Andy? Fair play. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely not someone to say whether or not, you know, the in-house art team is good enough to release a generative art project. I, I think the art team is interesting. It's not like the craziest shit I've ever seen, but it's cool. It looks interesting. Like, I don't know. I, I, I'm very much of the opinion that like you shouldn't 
what kind of police what people call or like don't call art and if this is what Hugo wants to make you can say you think it looks like shit and that's fine like if you think it looks like shit more power to you um but like someone inside of Hugo spent time making this unless yeah. they're lying and like you know if they actually got some fiber art and are lying to everyone that's one thing but like I don't know I, I don't want to say like this person's art is not valid because they're not like a super famous art blocks artist or something yeah there's some irony too in call in saying that it's a cash grab coming from yuga considering that they are the one project that makes enough money in their sleep and secondary royalties that i don't think they are in need of a cash grab in particular but which makes me give a little bit more I, like, I mean yeah i mean it's all i actually don't know about that fair um yeah i think that their burn is ridiculous Crazy. yeah well i can I'm sure building that. a successful game is a very expensive endeavor oh yeah i mean god what they're paying the agents multiple agencies and gaming studios to do that like we the scopes on that shit is bananas but again they have multi-millions of dollars in secondary revenue on top of big raises so yeah i'm not one to pocket watch out here but you know yeah, the, yeah uh, I, think you're, I think i think you could be right as well andy yeah, I mean, like, I don't think that they're going broke next week by any means, but <clears throat> I think, like, there's a couple of weird things, you know, like the other deed sale probably was, like, a little weird from a tax perspective um, for them because they got a bunch of ape coin that's dropped dramatically in value and they, like, owe sales tax on that ape coin that they, the other deeds were bought with and stuff. I don't know. I just, like... Yeah, that's fair. I think that they're, they're fine, but I think probably they're not quite in as advantageous of like a cash and bank account situation as people would think they are. Yeah. And so like, you always want I don't think the they would be super upset if they sold of course not. 300 generative pieces of art for 10 grand a piece. I think yeah, they'd no, be, they'd no be super happy that. without that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and if anything, like it's their, they have to walk that line of right of like their their heat check of how many new things can we spin out there and the market still puts a big time value on it right like even they could ultimately release too much shit that yeah. it's not worth something oh, sure. or it's so diluted so it's not just like you know money growing on trees for them they actually have to think about their brand their core audience who they're serving this seems like a small enough rollout that it's not really in at risk of diluting what they've already done no, and uh, Dookie Dash is kind of like just kind of winding down from the zeitgeist. Which, by the, what is y'all's take on that name? I might be in the minority. I thought it was low-key kind of like cheeky and genius on brand for them specifically. I think it's a wacky name for anything else. But for how out of pocket the whole game concept was, what are you going to call it? Something like a little bit more appetizing to go down a monkey's butt? Like I thought it was kind of genius personally. Yeah, I, I barely even followed what was going on with that. I saw references to it. Just seemed to be like um, universal kind of like disapproval of like the name choice or like not, not a, I don't know. Again, like whatever. I thought it was like, stupid, but like I yeah. thought it was a bad thing. I, I, I like a lot of stupid things, but it's definitely stupid. <laughs> oh, it's, I mean, I'm not saying it's, I just think that there can be genius in stupidity sometimes if it's uh, depending on the intentionality behind it. I wanted yeah. to circle before we talk a little underdog here. I wanted to circle back. My guy Lou Dog wanted you to break down uh, LDO. He had to clarify, not LSD acid. Uh, what, so what's yeah, LDO LSD ending? stands for liquid staking <laughs> derivatives, um, and so LDO is Lido, which is like by far the biggest liquid staking derivative um, DAO platform protocol. Uh, 
It's pretty cool. They're interesting. It, it, basically, in order to stake Ethereum, you need 32 ETH. And so this is a way to basically allow people to pool together. It's one massive pool of ETH that gets staked and validates. Um, and so you can deposit as much or as little as you want. Um, kind of all the fun stuff there. Uh, to be honest, I'm like certainly not an expert in this by any means. There's a couple others. There's like Rocket Pool, and I'm sure there'll be other ones. Um, they, they all have their kind of decentralization trade-offs. You kind of right now these these have to be at least somewhat trusted. They they can't be totally permissionless because um, there's just like a lot fucking going on. It's a, it's a very complex system, um, and so it's hard to say. I, I think they're cool. Uh, I think if you're just like sitting and holding ETH on a long time horizon, like you're probably better off holding staked ETH than you are holding Ethereum because you're going to earn interest on it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have an incredibly strong like opinion on them or anything. Yeah. Um, and I have even, even just having, er what are the, what are the risks of staking ETH in this sense relative to like other like, earn protocols and stuff where there's risk of, you know, as we've seen with some of these, these companies in the FTX fallout rugging. So I would say the risk here would be, I guess it depends if you're staking ETH personally, like if you are setting up your own node and stuff, you actually can get slashed and lose ETH. If you like, if your node goes down and like you stop validating or you like kind of go against the majority, um, if you're going through something like Lido, that risk doesn't really exist because you're not doing that. You're not running that infrastructure. Um, but sometimes it can like the it can like depeg, and so like the the price of the staked ETH doesn't totally match the price of um, traditional Ethereum, and so sometimes it's not totally liquid to get in and out. So like when you do wrap to stake ETH, uh, it might be a little bit harder to get back to ETH if you need it. Um, that's probably the biggest risk right now. Gotcha. All right, Lou, not financial advice. Uh, there you go. Uh, Clay, did, did you say you got a, you got a sweat in uh, Underdog little, Small Ball tournament? We got tournament? a sweat, baby. Yeah, it's not even cardio club season, but we're a little sweaty in the Underdog streets right now. Um, yeah, I was actually trying to look this up and see like when the next advance is. It says, like I think it's the week's... 19 and 20 of the NBA season in this quarterfinals round. And by some Googling, um, I determined that I think we're in week 20. So I think I still got a week to go for the advance, but currently sitting number one. Uh, and I'm definitely going to mush myself by bringing this up. Wow. On now screen. share it on I'm screen. Doing it, People yeah. want the sweat. Yeah, let's People do it. Let's see. Sweat. Let's present. Let's, uh, let's make sure I remember how to do this all correctly. I got the audio on just in case. Just Andy, did you do any of the season long best ball drafts? No, it didn't line up well with my free time, and so I didn't really have have an opportunity to. It was a lot yeah. when like Andy was in his uh. It was Euro, mostly while I was overseas. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So this is a squad. I am in. Yeah, sitting in first, first and second advance. Um, Are you healthy? I'm okay. Uh, AD's back, and so this is this is a fun team because this was one that I really did a pretty aggressive draft strategy on. Which was taking only is called bully big, two bigs early, my first two picks, no bigs the rest of the draft, 
And it was even more ballsy because I took Anthony Davis, who has probably the most problematic injury, you know, history and maybe league history, or at least in the last decade. Uh, but so far, paying off. Um, yeah, definitely getting help from some extra Gordon Haywood minutes here uh, with Plumlee's departure. Uh, if Kuzma would decide to start playing well again, that would benefit me uh, greatly. Um, I'm definitely team Emmanuel quickly for six man of the year. Uh, let's get that in. Let's get him off the boards. And then, yeah, Bradley Beal getting big minutes is pretty key. So I'm kind of like, I'm, I got enough to survive right now. Right now, Bradley Beal is healthy, knock on wood. CJ's healthy, knock on wood. Uh, Banchero is healthy. Kuz is healthy. Laurie, that's probably one of my best picks. Like, we got a chance here. We got a chance. How, how much yeah, is up top in the small ball? Uh, good question. Uh, let's see, 100K prize. If you hit the, uh, the info button, go back to where you were. Yeah. yeah here. Uh, let's see here. All right. 17 I mean, that's I wouldn't nice. hit that. Take care of a that few wedding nice. bills, you know. Uh, I think my fiance yeah. would appreciate me uh, winning some bigger money than just a couple hundred dollars over the course of uh, a <laughs> long it. period of time. But yeah. Had well, a nice hit in the NBA you... Daily Streets the other night as well. So, uh, yeah, we out here. I'm having fun. Underdog. Appreciate y'all. I know. Yeah. Uh, you guys have both been uh, screaming up the uh, the NBA standings there on some of those drafts. Although, Andy, you say your new love. I, I was kind of surprised. I thought you would have been grinding the NBA stuff, but it's it's this rookies and sophomores draft that's captured your attention. I mean, I'm still I'm still doing NBA stuff. You know, I, I may or may not have 70 entries in tonight's battle royale for NBA. Let's fucking go. But... <laughs> Are you mostly auto drafting those? No, I think they've almost all been manual. God I mean, I do, I, do like four to, I do like four or five at a time, and they're pretty oh, quick. Incredible. So I, was, I just had a lot of calls today where I was listening, and so I'm just like ripping a couple on the side. For the first time, um, I got in the first draft last night. I like I missed it uh, the the closeout of the Monday night hoops one, and I was just sitting there, and I saw the Tuesday one pop up, and not a single person was in. I was like, "Fuck it, I'm firing. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna mm -hmm. degen into tomorrow's slate with no knowledge." I was just so avoiding. You got to set the ADP. I was just avoid yeah seriously. I just avoided the uh, Q tags like the plague out here. So, Andy, I, I'm curious. Did, are you are you just blasting off in these, or have you uh, developed a a strategy here? I feel like the QBs are kind of one of the main things you have to really think through. Yeah, so I definitely have a bit of a strategy. Um, if I get one of uh, if if I get one of those first three running backs, I'll go really light running back. Yeah. Um, I I like having three quarterbacks if possible. Mm. It's tough. You got to kind of reach a little bit sometimes, um, especially if you want three who have like a high probability chance of playing. But my general theory there is kind of just that there are just not a lot of quarterbacks. Like like you could you look at this list, you cannot tell me with a hundred percent certainty that anyone other than Kenny Pickett is going to start the entire season. And so Sam Howell. Yeah. I I don't think you, you think you're a hundred percent certain that Sam Howell is going to start the whole season for the commanders. I think Elisa Wentz is pretty bullish on him starting day one of the season. No, so no, it's but health related. But Andy's saying the full season. I, I agree Sam Howell's going to so. start day one, but like I I, I think your point is is taken. Unless he plays himself. Uh, I just think the Wentz release makes me more confident that he has a long leash or longer than I mean, they, one might they expect. They could draft a quarterback. Last year. They could. They definitely could. Yeah, I think we'll it's see. just... It's You're not just wrong. like the quarterback position is so unknown. And like 
so high variance that I think that I've, I've had a couple drafts where I took four quarterbacks if I didn't feel good about my if I felt like the rest of my players were good and I didn't feel good about my QBs, I would take four. Um, and so, yeah, we'll see. I, I like to try to fill in a bit and like hold out. So I, like, I don't have as much picket or young, but I just, I'm taking like a ton of CJ Stroud and Richardson and Howell. Um, and then it depends. Like sometimes when I get stuck with a bad one and I have to take like Malik Willis, I want to die a little bit. But yeah. So who do you take in this happen. spot? Do you, do you pass on Young to take Watson or London here? I would probably take Drake. Watson or London. I, I've yeah. been. I think I've been taking London over Watson mostly. Um, yeah. Especially if you're thinking Jordan Love is starting. Not that Ritter is, you know, anything more significantly better, but. Maybe you have both here, Pete. Maybe you hold off. Oh, never mind. Mushed it. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's like this is where it gets really hard, and you basically have to say like Pickens. Do you, Do you fun. think you could be greedy and take like Gibbs, or do yeah. you just say like Fuck it, give me CJ Stroud. I don't want to risk it. It's no, It's really tough. It. We risk it. I do like your thought of getting like three QBs. Late, late in spray praying because you can get like you know the the interesting thing about this you were talking about guys who aren't guaranteed to play the whole season but are like guaranteed to start and you could actually piece together like a starting quarterback like if you think about a combo of say like sam howell with anthony richardson right yeah like maybe there's mm-hmm. a chance anthony richardson doesn't start the first six games yeah but could finish and like you could almost piece together a single quarterback with one or sorry with two guys yeah, I'm not. I'm not the draft expert. I'm personally getting a little skittish on taking Bryce Young so high, just because I think he might have, based on just some of his like metrics and like, if he doesn't fall in the perfect position, I don't see him getting a lot of burn potentially. I'm seeing a clock here. Yeah, yeah, I would vote Burks for sure or Pacheco. I love Traylon Burks this year. Yeah, me too. Unless it's Malik. I mean, his, he's very quarterback dependent in some respects. I feel like, but Tennessee's a big question tag. Like, what are they going to do with Tannehill? Do they think they got anything with Malik Willis? Because he didn't really show a whole lot. I'm Pacheco here, personally. but I think at this you, point, I'm biting the bullet. Sam <laughs> I think we got to get, like, one QB here. Don't tease yeah. me a good time. I that's think, a skeleton I think key it's the right thing to do. To the whole season. Sam Howe. I'm also yeah, so like, I, I really like to, like... On their receiving options. Yeah, I do. Scary like Terry's back. Core. Dotson. That's, that could be a fun offense, man. Especially with, but Eric, yeah, I think uh, there's like something there around like Sam Howell. You end up with Will Levis or Anthony Richardson, and then you all three. end up with with yeah. you know someone who feels kind of gross. But like, there's a chance they play like a Matt Coral or or Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis. Yeah. Even like I've taken a little bit of Bailey Zappi here and there. I think I'm Richardson over Levis. Yeah, it feels like he has Levis more life has as far as you could start. And even right now, like in the betting markets, I was writing this up for Fantasy Life today. Levis and Richardson are both plus 700 now. They're tied to be yeah. first pick off the board. Not saying they're going to be first pick, but like he's been screaming up boards. Yeah, which is really fascinating. I mean, uh, I can't remember I talked about this last club, but um, Adam Brenneman, who part of one and of, used to play football at Penn State, was like a big time prospect before he blew out his knee. Uh, when he when he can't when he made his return in college football, but he's been really good at picking. Let's make your pick first. I'll explain this. Um, um, let's see here. 
what we need running back. Right? What do you guys like? The only- so yeah, I, I would probably Look. take. I'd probably White. take an RB. Any of those three, I Robinson. like. I, think, I like all of them. I would just vote on the offenses that are not Atlanta. But... The only thing I was just thinking is Rashad White's ADP should probably start inching up with Fournette release today. Definitely. Yeah, I think my, my biggest concern there is just like, who the fuck's going to play quarterback? Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, so what I'm saying is like Adam is convinced that Levis is going to be the first pick. And when he said that, Richardson was like plus 2,500. And then the next day or two days later, he started screaming up the – the boards and now like you said he's they're tied at the top which is fascinating because we haven't had the combine i think a lot of shit's going to change after the combine as it always does but that's not a profound statement yeah my other thing with this i I do think that the second year players are going too late and so like i I find myself with a lot of teams like what you have where it's just a ton of second year guys i think it's sharp Um, for so many reasons like i mean that's just a a tried and true kind of thing like do you know this year or no or neutral or negative or like how do you feel about cook there was some hype from a press conference about him today i just feel like the bills are a pretty volatile team with the running back position i would not be shocked to see them draft someone um they've been pretty herky-jerky with their usage barkley that was a fun Uh, um for 2.5 seconds do you know which guy seems a little uh, greg dolchich to me feels undervalued here as well as a second guy below him my one concern there is I just like I hate the idea of drafting a tight end when I don't have to. <laughs> yeah. But he's like he's almost not a tight end kind of he's, he's one of those yeah. like receiver tight end kind of the it probably makes sense for a third quarterback. We took Burks. It probably Might as well makes take sense Willis now. to Willis, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then just in case he finds a throwing arm. There's also like a small chance, like the Titans pick at eleven. Like it could be Richardson they could draft territory. Quarterback. Yeah, um, that's what I'm, yeah, totally. I mean, I don't, I don't really have any indication that what we saw from Malik Wilson in the field last year would make them incentivized to like, you know, roll the dice with him as their main option. It, it is it is fun because like this, we're I mean we're in the eleventh round and like there's still it's very fast. usable. They're fun. Name. It's fast. Like the fact Tyquan yeah. Thornton, Jalen Warren, Khalil Shakir, like these are Dude, all John Mechie. Like no, everyone nice forgot about him because he was out all last year. But if he comes back and is anything, yeah, I'm also like pretty bullish on Jamison Williams. Like if you think that the Lions can maintain or continue in an upward trajectory with their offense, like we got enough of a flash, in my opinion, at the end of last season from just a talent standpoint that I've really been comfortable taking him in some of the big board drafts, and I've taken a couple. Like my favorite start in the big board has been like two wide receivers, two running backs, then hit like a third wide receiver in a lot of circumstances because it's been like it's been a fun structure for me to. to you're not a you're not a pisser. I usually am, man. It's been a different experience. I feel a little dehydrated out here in these uh, underdog streets, <laughs> but um... Here, here's a here's a fun thing, and maybe you guys have looked, but if not, I want you to guess. Uh, as Lou says, rookies and sophomores before the draft seat got. I want you guys to guess. How this opened up? What I believe it was yesterday on Monday was when this two was days born. ago. What do you guys think the what percentage of this contest it's, it's is disgusting? So I haven't yeah. seen. I've only seen the tweets referencing how high it is. Okay. So that's all I can base on. I truly don't know the number because I haven't seen it in the lobby. I gotta reckon it's over fifty percent though. If people are freaking out about it to this degree, not that not much. That but okay. a third of people see it. in, in two pain. days is is yeah. hilarious. Which I, I, been, I, I like Tajay Spears. Do you have uh, any of these guys that you prefer at running back? 
No, so I part of why it's extra redacted that I am doing this is I know literally nothing about college football. These are these I all I know about these players is what their ranking is on ETR and what yeah. their names are. I couldn't yeah. tell you a single other thing. I don't know shit about these yeah. I couldn't tell you, like, I'm just trying to, like, gather as much on Twitter as I can about, like, what receiving prospects are, like, just ranked high versus, like, what do the scouts think? And, like, I don't know. That's been pretty fascinating to see some of the meta conversation around, like, well, this guy is the number one waiting wide receiver, but I think he should actually go fifth. Like, <laughs> that's where I'm trying to get some of my information from. Yeah, I, I could have taken a tall glass of uh, Charbonnet. Uh, yeah, th- these ones are very addicting. I need to rip off a few more of these. But we are going to land the plane. Fun club show as always andy did i see you guys got some escher stuff coming up did i see you guys launched a new thing there was a thread you guys were talking about checks is that like a new artist profile thing you guys are doing yeah so we're starting to roll out we're just trying to think of some interesting ways to do some you know engagement and and get people talking about stuff and so we're doing what we're calling escher editorials uh and so we're kind of this is our first one of hopefully many uh, kind of highlighting artists who are going to be aggregating and, and curating work from and all of that. Um, it was a fun one. Nice. Very it's cool. a very different vibe than uh, how Tessera talks on Twitter and stuff. Too. <laughs> uh, it, it's much more uh, buttoned up. This is the LinkedIn version yeah. of, uh, of Tessera. <laughs> yeah. I'm not allowed on the Twitter for Usher. Yeah. Well, hey, I mean, this is you could send this back as part of your new resume for that uh, Web3 marketing job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Clay, anything else going on uh, on your neck of the woods? Yeah, I'm uh, actually got to figure out some time to pack. I'm heading to Denver tomorrow. Um, more of your homegrown neck of the woods, Pete, but uh, for ETH Denver. So I'm stoked. Oh, nice. my first time out there. Uh, so if anyone uh, from Deposit Kingdom or, you know, called Top Shot Chat here to be out of ETH Denver, uh, give me a shout. Discord, Twitter would uh, definitely plan it at some point, hopefully Saturday night because there's a Carolina Duke game. UFC fight a bunch of great sports on Saturday night try to find a bar and just kind of you know see who wants to go get some beers and bet on sports and hang out um, there's a shit ton of events going on so I'm kind of just waiting to see like what is happening out there as well but we have a booth so if you guys are coming by the gaming arcade space come check out our booth we have a fun little papa shot set up and come learn more about this uh this new evolution of uh of KOD um nice, so excited to share more yeah that's fun Stoked for it. Ju- yeah. you've been to Denver right yeah it's been a while I've been I went for a wedding like four or five years ago it was a great time got to go see red rock not a show at red rocks which is definitely on the bucket list um i'm not a big bucket list guy but that's absolutely something on there but yeah i'm excited to go back and um hopefully it won't be too cold weather's looking a little iffy but yeah, it'll be great regardless you know nice some fresh air um on my end uh tomorrow night ship chasing i'm sure we will be uh drafting some more rookies and sophomore drafts if you're looking for uh more of that but that's the main thing on my radar for anyone who missed it, I started a, a new weekly newsletter. I, uh, I, of course, write the Fantasy Life newsletter um, multiple times a week, but wanted to get one to recap all, all the shows, things going on, things on my mind. So that's called the P.O. Box free newsletter on Fridays. I have that link down Very fun below. Read. Thank you. Very fun uh, read. I'll I, co-sign that. Subscribe I to got, that shit. It's great. I think I got a fun edition queued up for Friday too. I've been uh, starting to draft it a little bit. So I'd appreciate if you guys subscribe to that. Appreciate you guys as always hanging out in the chat. We will be here as always Tuesday afternoons at 4.30. So for Clay, for Andy, I'm Pete. Have a great rest of your week, guys. Peace. Hey.